If you have uh, your Bibles, we're going to be uh, in Matthew this morning. Um, Matthew is at the beginning of what we call the New Testament. Uh, there's like a 400-year gap between um, this book called Malachi, right? This prophet named Malachi and, and Matthew. Um, and we call them the Old and the New Testament. They're both very, very important. We can't have one without the other. They're, they're needed to tell this complete story. And this guy named Matthew, he... Probably, I think it's Matthew, a tax collector. And um, he just traveled around with Jesus. Like, he was a guy that knew Jesus, spent time with him, um, and wrote down a lot of the things that Jesus said. And he's writing them down in, in a way, right? Like, he, you know, if you're going to tell the story uh, of somebody, uh, you're going to tell just these pieces uh, that you need to communicate the, the most important things, to get your message across about who this person is, and that's what Matthew's doing. He's telling us in a certain way, and he's opened up this letter by telling us, this, or it's not a letter, but he's opened up his story um, by telling us that this Jesus was born in a very unusual way. Um, it says he was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? So it doesn't have, it's a miraculous birth, um, and also that he is kingly, also that in some way his names, angels have appeared and, and told uh, his parents to name him these names, and these names that have been given him already are, are, are just marvelous. Like his, his name means uh, he's gonna save his people, they named him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, is what Matthew tells us. And, and also that he is Emmanuel, that somehow he's also God with us, right? Amazing. So he's opened up telling us about who this Jesus is, tells us about his baptism, this amazing thing happens at his baptism. And then when you get to chapter five, we get the first of Matthew's five blocks of teaching from Jesus, right? And Jesus opens, and Matthew introduces us to Jesus' teaching uh, with what commonly known as the, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount opens with what's commonly called the Beatitudes. Uh, Beatitudes is a Latin word that means blessed because that's kind of the rhythm that's repeated over. These are people who are blessed. 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 And he begins to describe what it's like in his teaching as he walked up on this mountain and sat down to this group of people that are following him around. And he begins to teach them what it means to live the good life, a rich life. Um, I have in my head for the longest time what it meant to live the good life. I've told some of you this before. I stand by it. Uh, For the longest time, I believe that what I needed to be happy in life to live the full life was an old Toyota Land Cruiser, a boat to pull behind it, black lab, some great camping gear. That's it. That's what I need. If I had that, that's the life that I want to live. Sounds amazing, right? And and here's the deal. That would be nice to have. But I realize that that might not be the pinnacle of human existence, though, right? And what Jesus is talking about is this place. And also, by the way, that dream of mine, only accessible to a few people. Like worldwide, right? Like globally, through history. It's a very, very narrow group of people who can pull that off. And so Jesus comes and begins to describe to this group of people what the deep, rich, flourishing, he doesn't say this, but definitely he means this, what it means to be fully human, right? To be living out of this place that is what we were made to be. Right? And so he, he's teaching this, and so he begins to describe what it means to be blessed. Uh, let's, let's read this. Uh, so Jesus, he sees the crowd, he goes up on the mountain, and when he's there, he sits down, and the disciples come to him, and this is what he says. Opens his mouth, and he taught him, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I do not tire of pointing out how weird these things are. Right? Like if this is the first time you ever encounter the Beatitudes, your experience is not like, like you don't read this and go like, yeah, for sure, this checks out. Like that's nobody's first reaction. Oh, those who mourn, killing it. It's not our reaction. How weird is it? I think Jesus has presented these things to us in this way so that we will come and revisit them and, and wrestle with them and not just move past them, but really, really meditate and try to understand what it is that he's teaching us. There's more going on than it seems at first. I mean, because even if you got through poor in spirit, those who mourn in the meek, like you're like, oh. Like, no, right? But you keep reading and you get to, like, these impossible things like peacemaker, pure in heart, and merciful. You're like, well, that's not me, you know? And then you move on past that to the persecuted. Like, surely you check out then, right? Like, the persecuted to bust. And so he's drawing us in in these crazy teachings, and he's preparing us for this new life. The Beatitudes are supposed to break us up. They're supposed to interrupt us, stop us, wake us up so that God can implant new life inside of us. And that's what Jesus is driving at. Uh, this, this new life in the kingdom of God. That's what he's been teaching about. His whole messages, uh, or the over kind of arching thing that, that Matthew sets for us is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that is from God, and how to be in it. And it is coming, and that there are people who are ready for it and that are blessed. There's this new life. Part of being part of the kingdom of God is this brand new access to this source of life that we do not know from birth. Uh, it's this access to the type and quality of life that God has that is implanted in us by the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what he's talking about. This new life. And the blessed life, the kingdom life, it's the life that we're looking for in all the wrong places. Right? We spend so much of our life looking for whatever life is mean, fulfill, it's supposed to mean, fulfillment, satisfaction, whatever it is. We just look, all the things that we're, all the places that we're looking for, uh, this thing that's just out of reach, what we're really looking for is the kingdom life we were built for. Right? Because if God made you, he made you to be a certain way, and this is how he made us to be, but we just get so confused. This is the kingdom life you're looking for that prepares us. It is not a, it's, it doesn't make life necessarily easier, the things that happen. It doesn't change our circumstances necessarily at first, but it does change us into the type of people who have a life that is not destroyed when tragedy strikes, when emotions change, and life becomes overwhelming. Right? That is what is happening, this new life being implanted. And Jesus is our God. We need a God because what he's telling us is counterintuitive. So he's walking us through what it is. We have to have him, and we must deal with him in what he says. Jesus is the key to the, to the Sermon on the Mount. 
as we follow to understanding what he's trying to say, who he is and what he's done, his life and who he was, help us unlock what he's trying to tell us, what he's telling us in this, in this Beatitudes. And it turns out that, that uh, as we go through, that Jesus is not just the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount. He is the key and the access to the kingdom itself. Yeah? So this is what's going on. So he opens up and says, like, uh, we've, we've gone through these. Poor in spirit, those who know that they have no spiritual life apart, just on their own. They're searching and searching and searching and searching. They know that they are spiritually bankrupt. Those, Jesus says, hey, that you're blessed. You're in an enviable position. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, uh, right? Those who know that they are sinful, that they are broken and in need. Uh, those who mourn in the condition of the world and recognize that that condition is in their heart as well. What causes those conditions is in their heart as well. And then the meek, those who are humble enough to ask for help. Humble enough to say, not only is the world broken and messed up, I am the cause of it. It is my sin. And instead of trying to overcome, are humble to say, I just need to be saved. I can't do it on my own. And then those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who look at the world and say, it's not how it's supposed to be, look at themselves and go, it's not supposed to be like this. And I love this so much. It doesn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. It's those who hunger and thirst for it. Those who know they don't, you only hunger and thirst for things you don't have. Yeah? And so they're hungering, thirsting for this righteousness that they don't have. Now, here's the interesting thing. These, these first four things, these first four Beatitudes, this first group of Beatitudes seem passive, right? Like you just are, right? Like you are meek, you are hungering and thirsting, you are, like it seems to be con- like conditional, right? Like this is who I am, right? They seem passive. And then these next group, this next group, uh, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, and blessed are the peacemakers. Those seem active, right? Like they don't, like those aren't active, like it sounds like the, the first four is how you are and the next group is how you go and be. But it's really important that we understand that these are not things you have to do to get into the kingdom. That's not what he's telling you. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, they're what life is like in the kingdom. Like, this is how it is. This is what the life in the kingdom of God looks like. Merciful. Pure, full of peacemakers. When we recognize our spiritual depravity and we mourn, uh, ask for help and realize that we have a need of righteousness that we do not have, this is the kingdom that we get, right? So, all these beatitudes that we've discussed so far, all of them describe someone living life in the kingdom by the power of God through being united to Jesus. That's what's going on. Not something that's earned, but what life is like in the kingdom. All of them. Um, so the first one, uh, today, um, we're going to do three. I know that scares some of you since we've gone so slowly. But here's the deal. First one will take a little bit longer. The, two, the next two will go fast. Because once you understand how the first one is kind of what Jesus is doing with merciful, the other two will make sense, right? So that's how it's going to be. Don't get nervous, right? I'm going to spend more time on the first one today. So uh, merciful. Blessed are the merciful. The merciful are the ones who um, show mercy. This is a big theme in the Bible. It's a big theme in Matthew, by the way. Like, it comes up a lot. A couple times Jesus says, twice Jesus says, you guys don't understand what it means when God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Like he, at the end, uh, towards the end of Matthew, later on in Matthew, he, calls the, he says to the scribes and Pharisees, these religious political leaders, he says to them, he says, you guys are cursed because you guys know and understand rules but you don't understand mercy. 
You don't understand it. And so you just keep rules and you keep weight on people that you yourself can't carry and you don't understand mercy. Jesus teaches about it in several places. It's a huge theme. People ask for it multiple times. As you read through Matthew, you just watch people like, Jesus, show mercy on us. Jesus, show mercy on us. Jesus, show mercy on us. It's a big theme in Matthew, this idea of merciful. The merciful are those who show mercy. It's like grace. It's connected to grace. Uh, grace is, um, I, I, my favorite definition, and uh, short definition of grace is uh, undeserved favor and merit, right? Grace is just, it's favor and merit that we have not deserved at all. And mercy is connected to that. Um, but mercy seems to be, um, it's compassion and love expressed in a tangible way. Does that make sense? It's not just looking at someone and going like, oh, it's being compelled to do something about it. Uh, when you are merciful, you, um, you step in and you share the burden of the one who is struggling and hurting. That's what mercy is. Uh, stepping in. And, and this, the reason this doesn't make sense to us, the reason you're like, okay, like, uh, I don't... Like, how is that the way I'm supposed to be? Like, I get that maybe I have an obligation to be that way. Um, but, but how is this like the flourishing life? The reason we feel that way is because it doesn't make sense. Um, because you know that being merciful, showing compassion and love in a tangible way to people who don't deserve it, Right? Not like I could. I do nice things for my wife. One because I want to, right? Like on my best day, sometimes, man, like she just earned it, right? Like I, like she's earned it. Like that's not mercy. That's just she deserves it. You know, mercy is mercy is stepping in and bearing the burden of someone who doesn't deserve. And so the reason that doesn't make sense to us is because you 100% risk being abused and disappointed. I don't want to live that way. Honestly, like, like there's no, like my heart, the flesh, my flesh doesn't jump up and go like, sign me up for being constantly disappointed and wounded, hurt, rejected. Not only that, like you will 100% chance be inconvenienced. And on top of that, 100% chance it'll cost you something. Mercy by definition will cost you. Because you are taking the load off of them and putting some of it on you. It's going to cost you something. And it's so backwards. How can the good life, how can that lead to happiness if I'm gonna let some of the cost fall on me? Like if you say, Chris, mercy's an obligation, I'll write a check. Hey, I get it, mercy is an obligation, something that I have to do, just suck it up every now and then and just go do the thing, that's fine. But that's not what he says. He says, hey, those who do merciful things on occasion get into the kingdom. No, no, no. The kingdom is full of people who are merciful by nature. We just are that way. We're supposed to be that way. The kingdom is full of them that are just that way, bent that way all of the time. This is a blessed way to live, right? This is a blessed way to live because um, it's not a way into heaven. It's, it's what heaven is like. Uh, being a merciful um, person is, um, it's not, it's not a require, requirement to receive grace, but it's absolutely a necessary condition, right? 
a necessary consequence. It's not a condition for receiving grace, it's a necessary consequence. It will happen to you as you realize who you are. When you recognize I am spiritually bankrupt, <laughs> I'm more in the sin, my sin, I long for righteousness and am meek enough to ask for help from God, then you receive that mercy and that mercy begins to shape you and it will change you into this type of person. So this is um, a blessing because mercy in scripture seems to have this reciprocal nature, right? Uh, blessed are those who uh, are merciful for they shall receive mercy. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, and just like a little bit longer, Jesus is gonna teach them how to pray and then he's gonna say, uh, uh, God, forgive me my debts, forgive me my sin, be merciful to me as I forgive the sins, as I am merciful to those who have wronged me. There seems to be this, this nature, this way of being in the world that compounds and builds. It's a blessing because God's gonna bless you if we're this way. But also, uh, it blesses us this way. This is a good way to be in the world because uh, you don't really have a choice of being neutral in this. You're either becoming merciful or merciless. Right? Because merciful is this outward turning towards others and caring and bearing the burden. Or I can become merciless and go, hey, I can't do that. I can't bear the cost. I can't take that on me. I have too much going on. I can't, I, there's not enough in me. And we become merciless, merciless, merciless. More and more self-absorbed. More and more focused on us. And those are kind of the two paths, the two directions you can head in. So it's such a blessing because as you learn to be merciful, it is such a better way to be in the world than closed off from anyone who's hurting anything that want, anybody that needs anything from you. And instead, be able to engage with people in this powerful, powerful way. One of the, uh, the curse, I read this, uh, this is the curse of being uh, rich and satisfied, the curse of the, uh, the, curse of the rich and satisfied are that, um, that their situations make them harder towards others. We're either headed towards being softer towards others or harder. And the gift of mercy that we receive from God changes us into these mercy-filled people who are open to carrying the burdens of those that don't deserve it. Uh, So here is, I think we think of these, acts of mercy is a thing, right? Uh, Where somebody needs something and we sacrifice big things to to help this person out. That's a thing. But you know what one of the main things, the main ways of showing mercy in scripture is forgiveness. These these two ideas are intimately connected in scripture. The the key to being merciful or the first step in being merciful or one of the main ways I should say that that we could be merciful in the world is forgiveness because that costs us something, right? To forgive someone who does not deserve to be forgived costs you you have to set aside this idea that we're gonna be equal, right? That somehow it's gonna be made up and you go, hey, you know what? Even though you don't deserve to be forgiven, I'm gonna do it anyway. That hurts. I don't know if you ever tried to do it or not. And I tend to think about it in these big moments, this, these great acts where someone has hurt me and I gotta figure out how to forgive them. Uh, but the reality is, I think that this plays out and is shaping in most of our lives just on a daily basis in a thousand acts of kindness that happen in a week. These moments where someone is irritated, someone irritates you, someone upsets you, someone disappoints you, someone lets you down, and you can choose to harden yourself, distance yourself, not worry about them, or to engage and be merciful and forgive. 
Why did this person disappoint me? Why did this person irritate me? Why did this happen? And even if they're at fault, especially when they don't deserve it, to figure out how to be a human being in the world that says, you know what? I don't know what that got going on, but I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to wipe the slate clean, and I'm going to engage with them again. I'm going to love them anyway. What a better way to be in the world. I really, really wish that I could get there. It is this forgiveness, taking the cost of the damage done relationally on yourself. Start at home. One of the, one of the amazing things about Jesus is how much he notices. And you're like, well, yeah, but he was God. Like, yeah, I get that, right? I know. But also just as a human, like, one of my favorite stories of this is Jesus. There's, a, there's this lady, he's walking through a crowd and somebody reaches out and touches him. Like she's, she thinks in her head, she says, if I can just touch him, I know I'll be healed. And Jesus stops, like this crowd's moving and she just stops and goes, hey, someone just touched me. And he notices. And he's not gonna stop and he's not gonna move past. He's gonna stop and see who knew that if they could just touch him, they would be healed. And he stops and engages with this person. Or there's this other story where he's walking down the street and there's huge crowds everywhere and this guy has heard about Jesus and he's this tax collector and he's just heard about Jesus and he wants to see and he's trying to get in and he just can't see because he's so short. And so he climbs this tree so he could just see. And as Jesus passes, he doesn't just go like, weird, dude in tree. He stops and goes, hey, come down, I'm gonna go to your house. He stops and he notices. Who needs mercy? Who needs attention? Who needs forgiveness? And he engages. I think sometimes I'm just so busy, I'm not merciful, because I don't even stop and think about what you're going through. I only know what I'm going through. And this turn outward into what other people are going through is incredibly powerful. It starts at home. Sometimes when we don't show mercy, we don't forgive, um, there's a couple kind of primary reasons that I've noticed in my own life. One is this. Uh, uh, you got to earn it. You want my forgiveness? Earn it. There's a certain standard you need to live up to. And if you, you know what? How many times do I have to forgive you? Like, you know, I, come on. Like, you know what? Live up to this standard. If you could just live up to this standard, then we'll be good again. I, if you, I set a standard and I'll live up, if you live up to it, then I'll be glad to forgive you. I'll be glad to be merciful. I'll be glad to help out. Here is the trouble with that. Jesus says this really upsetting thing. He says a lot of upsetting things. He says a really upsetting thing. He says this. He says to this group of people he's talking to, he's like, hey, look, here's the deal. Fine. Here's what I'm going to do. Whatever standard you use to judge other people, I'll just judge you by that standard. And I started thinking about that. It's not going to go great for me. Like, what I expect of everybody else in my life, right? Like, hey, you should, if you live up to the standard, if I get to heaven and God's like, hey, forget about my standard, did you just even come close to living up to your own standard for other people in your life? I'm gonna be like, this is not a good day, right? Like, if that's it, right? Like, it's not gonna go great for me. Like, we have these standards, what we expect. And so if people, like, we're not merciful sometimes because we really just, we, we want people to earn it. And that's not mercy, the other reason I think that we're sometimes not merciful, we struggle with mercy, is because we think the cost is too high. Right? If some of this cost is going to fall on me, some of the burden for forgiveness is, so much of the burden for forgiveness is going to fall on me, I just can't. And we live with this idea that we have such limited resources. I don't think that we understand that the new life, the Holy Spirit planted inside of us, it's just, just so transformative. We are able to be merciful and to have this huge bank of mercy when and only when we understand how much mercy that we've received. 
when we understand how much mercy that we've received, that begins to work on us. It begins to shape us and change us. You begin to see yourself differently. You begin to see yourself more accurately as God sees you. Sometimes that's not a pretty view at the beginning, which is, I think, why we shy away from it so much. But when we begin to understand that we deserve hell for the hell we've caused in our own self and in the world ourselves, when we begin to see that and understand that, which sounds like a terrible thing to say, I get it. But if we can understand that and understand the mercy that we've been shown, man, you know what? People that just don't do their job, you know, that I get furious at, doesn't seem like that big a deal. People that constantly let you down, this doesn't seem that much of a big deal. When I understand who I really am, what's going on in my heart, when I let God examine me and I look at the mercy that I am shown, man, it just, it could change us. It is a powerful tool for changing us. God leads us along by loving us so much that it begins to shape us and we're able to be in the world how he would have us to be. When you realize how much mercy God has poured out on us in Jesus Christ, man, it changes the color of the sky, you know? Like, it changes everything. If we still think that we're a good person, that we kind of deserve this, or if we think that we can just kind of live up to some kind of standard and keep Jesus' arm length, man, that is just a never-ending battle with the surrender of receiving mercy. Or, how about this? Sometimes we're not merciful We think we can't afford to be merciful because, not because we're judging people by a standard, but but we're we're living by somebody else's standard that they've given us. Here's what I mean. That was confusing, and I know that. Hey, here's what I mean. A situation, or someone told you a thing that made you feel like you'll never live up, you don't deserve mercy. I can't have mercy because I'll never live up to this not getting this job, to what happened to me in this relationship. I'll never live up to this. And you feel that. You do not know the mercy that God has shown you. You don't understand who you really are in the depths of our sin and our need for salvation. And we just live trying to live up to these standards. Man, that'll break us. And instead of going to God and saying, what do you say about me? Well, that's way worse than I even thought. Right, but here's the difference. I love you. And he shows us mercy that is new every single day. That is life-changing. That is a power released into your life that lets us live differently. When you see your life, when you see yourself rightly, you have this unlimited, unlimited resource available to you. When we just hold this cost and say, I can't afford to forgive, I can't afford to enter into this relationship, I can't afford to help this out, I can't afford to hear, because we see how we just think so limited and we don't turn around and say, you know what, look what I've been given. And then that just flows out of us. We learn how over time. Blessed are the mercy, merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is what it's like in the kingdom. Full of people who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, so the heart uh, in the Bible is, like, I, um, we, you know, if you grew up listening to 80s songs, you, your heart is your emotional thing, right? Like, that's a real, you know, 80s songs are just all power ballad, right? That's what you think about your heart, right? But that's not what the Bible thinks, you know, that's not it. The Bible, the heart is the seat of everything. 
Like it's the place that you live out of. When you make a decision, you're like, I don't know why I did that. That's because of your heart. Like the center of who you are, that what you think, what you feel, everything. It's about who you are at your core. Your heart is the center of who you are. And Jesus says that you need purity at the very center of your being. I mean, that's probably the last place that I think that you would find purity in me. Like, God bless whatever it is, the gate between my heart and my mouth, you know? It doesn't work always. Like, it's, it's not always functioning. It's, it's more like the ice cream maker at McDonald's than anything, but like, it's just almost, but sometimes it works, and it stops what happens in my heart from just jumping out of my mouth some days. God bless that gate, right? Because, and Jesus says, like, they're not, like, because I can sound pure, I can say pure things, I can say kind things, I can act kindly, but man, if that gate is open, what flows out of my heart and my mouth, man, it's not great. It's real upsetting. And he says, in the core of you, blesses the one who has purity at the very core of you. But here's the deal. He's not talking about some kind of moral perfectionism here. Right? I read this and I'm like, well, I, that's, that's not. He's not talking about some kind of moral perfectionism. Uh, in the Bible, when they talk about purifying, the Old Testament, like when they're talking about purifying, it's almost always purifying idols. Get the idols out of your midst. Purify yourself of idols is what uh, the Bible is, talks about. Uh, there's this purity of heart is not some moral perfectionism. It's purity in the sense of being Pure. Uh, of a single substance, focused. It's not muddled with other things. It's just pure. Blessed are those who have a single focus of heart, and that is for God. And the idols have been purged. Idols are the things that tell us what to do, whether we realize that or not, right? Uh, the things that tell us what to do, um, a relationship that hurt us or, 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 or that we desire, or a career, or a job, or control issues, uh, whatever these idols are that tell us if we just, if we, that, that kind of lie to us and tell us if you just, if you just pursue this, if you pursue this idol, if you pursue me, then you'll have this kind of control uh, and then just use us up and spit us out, right? Those are idols. And God says, like, you need to purify yourself from all of these other ideas, all of these idols, and get them out and, and be purely focused on me because here's the deal. Serving more than one master is exhausting. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. At some point, if we serve God and one of these other idols... That can happen for a little while, right? And then at some point, something's gonna happen in life where they contradict each other. What are you gonna do? You can't serve two. And he says, listen, here's the deal. I'm not expecting some moral perfectionism. I'm expecting you to be solely focused on me, constantly purging idols from your heart. And, and you're like, oh, that sounds like so much more work. I gotta do these mercy works. No, you don't have to do mercy works. You need to listen to how merciful I am and let it shape you into a type of person who lives this blessed, merciful life. And now you're telling me I have to, like, I have to just like, get rid of all of these things and just focus solely on God? Yeah, what I'm telling you is to set down, what he's telling us is to set down all of these idols, all of these heavy weights that are dragging us down and just hold on to him. Jesus says this amazing thing. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, who are just crushed by the weight of life. Come to me and I'll give you rest. He says in that place, come to me, take my yoke because it's light. And what he's saying is everything else that pulls us apart, 
whether it's career aspirations, whether it's relationship, whether it's whatever it is that we have given some weird authority in our life to control us, to give, we've given some, some kind of control in our life. They're going to pull us apart. They're going to sink us. And Jesus, like if you come to me setting all those other things down, your heart is light. The problem is it just seems, it's just so hard for us to do. Purity means this single focused. James says a double-minded, uh, uh, the writer James says a double-minded person is unstable in all they do. Jesus wants us to be pure in heart and pursue him and pursue pursue him only, right? To live for him only because he wants us to be stable. He wants us to not be sidetracked by all of these other things that cry out for our attention. It's not picking up something heavier. It's lightening the burden. You have new expectations, no longer destroyed by troubles because you don't believe the lies anymore that, that, that you can control everything that happens. You know what purity of heart does? It actually enables us to love other things even better. I feel like sometimes we think, hey, I gotta love God and love God only, so I can't love any of these things. And what it really does, when we put God at top, at, at first, and this purity of heart, what it does is it put all the other good things that tend to want to be idols, it puts them in their proper place. Uh, to love my wife well, it would be dangerous to put her first in my life. To put that love and let that, light guide, that love guide me, I would mess that up in a heartbeat trying to keep God and the love for him, it puts the love of her in its proper place, the love of my son in its proper place, the love of my job in its proper place, the love of the church in the proper place. It puts all of the things in its right place. When we're pure of heart, you let any of those other things rise to the top, and you know what they are? Good things. But when they rise to the top and become ultimate things, that's what, that's what an idol is. To be able to love well, to... You need a pure heart. That is why this is the blessed life. Blessed are the peacemakers. Um, I feel targeted by this uh, beatitude. I, I will. I'll walk into a room, see, figure out what's going on, pull a conversational grenade, toss it in the middle, and just walk right away, just to see what happens. Like, I, I love chaos. I just, I just love it so much. My favorite story of this, I, I don't think I've shared it in a while, uh, was when my family decided they were going to uh, only spend $20 per Christmas gift, and you had to draw names. Yeah. You know what I did? I told you before. Well, I, I spent $200 on one and didn't say anything about it. Next year, did the same thing for the same person, just to see what the family would do. Just chaos. I j- and why'd I do it? Just want to see what happened. I, by nature... Not a peacemaker. Jesus is teaching us that in this world, I can be a chaos causer or I can be a peacemaker. And the reason this is the blessed way to be is because, well, there's lots of reasons, but one of the reasons this is the blessed way to be is because we are actually fighting anger and evil and negative things with good. Right? And we're trying to bring together co- conflicting things, warring things, and have them, but we just, 
We're fighting for relationships based on good things and not conflict. We're fighting for things to put them in the right place in our heart. Why aren't we peacemakers? Probably because we're not pure of heart. Probably because we don't understand mercy. Probably because we haven't accepted that we're spiritually bankrupt and need help. Right? If I'm not a peacemaker, then I'm a chaos causer. So here's the three things these things have in common. Here's some things that these these three things have in common. One of them is this. All three of these things will cost you something. Being merciful costs you. Being a peacemaker will cost you. It's easier to just walk away. It's just easier just to walk away. Being pure of heart, it's gonna cost you. You're gonna have to give up idols. You're gonna have to surrender things. You're gonna have to let go. You're gonna have to trust. All three of these things cost you, but what you get in return is a whole new stable life, a whole new life full of mercy and beauty, the blessed life. No matter what happens, you weather it, even death itself, because of what you have in Christ. They all will cost you something. And here's another thing. These three make sense. They make so much sense because they teach us and reveal to us something about the character and nature of God. I mean, what would we expect God's kingdom to be like? Certainly not like my kingdom. God's kingdom would probably be what? Full of mercy? God's kingdom would probably be full of this purity of heart. God's kingdom will definitely be full of peacemaking. These are the things when you read the Old Testament that God is about doing. He's about being merciful. He's about forgiving sins. It's what he is doing. It's what he has done for us. He is about being, God is love. He is mercy. When God describes himself, he says, in Exodus, he's describing himself and he says, uh, this is what I'm like. Uh, I am merciful. The Lord, the Lord, merciful. That's how he starts out. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. What is he like? He's merciful. So why would we expect God's kingdom to be anything else? And those in it. Pure. He is love and he pursues us. He is merciful and he pursues us and he goes to great lengths putting the cost on himself so that we can have life bringing peace between us and him. Jesus, they asked Jesus, uh, they're trying to test Jesus later in Matthew, we'll get to it eventually, maybe, who knows. Uh, we'll, uh, he says, they said to Jesus, they're like, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, everything that you are. Be pure in heart, love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says the amazing thing, everything else, all the law and the prophets, everything else was to teach you those two things. He, his kingdom is this way, is full of peace, making peace with him, making peace with each other. And he calls us, when we enter into this kingdom, it's not like, okay, glad you're in the kingdom, here's your thing that lists to do. Instead, it's this drawing along. When we focus on his love, and we focus on his mercy, we focus on the peace that he's made, when we focus on the, the, the purity of his heart and his pursuit of us, that draws us along and changes us and makes us the type of people who then go be that way in the world. 
I think our focus gets so, so turned on our limited resources. Our focus gets so turned on how hard this is and this task that I have to pick up. And it's just our natural nature. And instead, what Jesus is saying, you're focusing on the wrong things. If you would focus on the mercy that you've received, if you would focus on my pure love of you, if you would focus on my pursuit of you, if you would focus on the peace that I've made with you and God and that is available to you and each other, if you would focus on those things, I would bring you along and shape you into that type of person in my, that's going to be in my kingdom. It's this shaping as we focus, this shaping as I focus. It's not him kicking us along, it's him drawing us along with his love. This is what he's called us. This is what he's doing in the Beatitudes. So it's not something that we visit one time and go, yep, click, 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 click. I did all those things. No, no, no. The thing we return to constantly. We return to remembering that apart from God, we are spiritually bankrupt. That we mourn our sin and the hurt and the harm that we cause in the world. We recognize the beauty of the salvation that we have in Christ and we long for righteousness. We return to those places over and over and over again so that he can lead us into being more merciful. So he can shape us into being being so pure of heart that idols do not dis- make us unstable and he can draw us so closer and closer and closer to him and make us more and more like him so that we are not just pure of heart but that we become peacemakers and that's what spills out. I mean, let's, look, what kind of world do you want to live in, right? Don't you want to live in a world where you're just offered mercy and there's peace and there's purity of focus? He's calling us, he's making us into this all by all by surrender, right? And that's the hard part. Us giving up control, us giving up the idols, us listening to him and leading him into this, letting him lead us into this situation that does not even make sense to us. The way to live a rich life is to take the cost and burden on me. Yeah, I did it. God's like, yeah, that's exactly. Watch me go do it. <laughs> yeah, it's the way. And then we just go, okay, I'm gonna do this. And we go by faith, trusting Jesus, who he is. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he was gonna do. And we follow him through this death into this new life implanted in us that changes us. This is the Christian way. This is life in the kingdom. And I know it doesn't make sense. But it's so rich and it is so true. And it's the only way. So we pray and we ask that Jesus change us, that we be united to him, make him Lord of our life, and we become transformed into this. Let the Beatitudes continue to stop us, till up our heart, make it a soft place so that the gospel reality can be planted and grow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these good things, for this good word that you have given us, that we have life and life abundantly in you because of what you've done. And it doesn't make sense to me. Not when I think about it. But the truth is I've seen it in other people's lives. I've experienced it in my own. This is the way to depth and meaning and life. It's to follow you, to surrender to you. So this morning, God, give us just an overwhelming love of you. It leads us to surrender to lay down not just our, our deadly, not, not just our, our, our evil deeds, but, but the things that we're doing that we think make us okay. Pretty good people. And see, we are in need of salvation. And that's a blessed place to be if we come to you for it. Change us and shape us. Make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.